Hi, and welcome to the first episode of the Southern County Democrat podcast. My name is Patricia Robayo, and I'm a staff reporter for the Southern County Democrat newspaper. For our first episode, we present to you a press conference held by the Southern County Department of Public Health that was held on March 13th. The press conference brought together officials from across the county to discuss the current state of COVID-19 and what is the county doing in response. Those on the panel were Southern County Manager Josh Potosik, Director of Public Health Services Nancy McGraw, Chief Executive Officer of Casco Regional Medical Center in Harris, Jonathan Schiller, Medical Director in the Health Services Division, Dr. Bruce Ellswick, Assemblywoman Aileen Gunther, State Senator Jen Metzger, OC Superintendent Bob DeFore, SUNY Sullivan President Jake Quentins, Sullivan County Legislature Michael Brooks, Commissioner of the County's Division of Health and Family Services Stephanie Brown. As this situation is moving fast, check for updates on the Sullivan County Democrat Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And always, you can find us online at scdemocratonline.com. And now, here's the press conference. And a lot of being proactive. Uh, and even though right now, COVID-19 is not, is not in Sullivan County, but nevertheless, we're preparing just in case that does happen. Before I get to the speakers, I just want to take a few minutes here real quick. Every once in a while in our lives, challenges and events will alter the way that we go about our day-to-day business. And those alter, and we alter those, uh, our actions, our behavior, until the challenges have either been overcome or the events passed. Currently, we have what I would call a challenge, a health challenge. The other day I heard an analogy which I'd like to share because I kind of think it tells us, explains kind of where we're at. Imagine you have a bathtub full of water. You want to drain it. Well, what happens if the faucets are turned off? It's a long time for that water to drain. I thought of the water as being our population. That water rushing into the bathtub as the means by which the virus spreads. So I think our mission, if you will, as a county, is to come together as a whole, all hands on deck, if you will, to help inhibit the spread of this virus as best we can, turn that faucet off, if you will, you can never ever do this 100%, it's just humanly impossible. But the more people do make the right decisions, smart decisions, decisions, good judgment, the better off we will be as a whole. So with that being said, I'd like to turn it over to our first speaker, our public health director, Nancy McGraw. Thank you. Please speak loudly. Can you hear me? Yeah, we're having some audio. We're trying to listen live. Can you hear me? So now? speak as loudly as you can into the mic. Okay. Good afternoon. Um, thank you for the introduction. Um, yesterday I spoke at the um, Health and Family Services Legislative Committee. Um, and for those of you who weren't there, it was, was posted on Facebook Live. You can go back and watch that. I did discuss a lot of the planning that's been going on uh, in our department and countywide uh, with our incident command team here at the government center. 
what I want to talk about today uh, is a little bit more of that, but not in great detail, but to reconfirm that as of now, we continue to not have any positive cases of COVID-19, with the caveat that that could change um, any minute, any hour, uh, could change tonight, could change tomorrow. So um, it's important to understand um, risk and when we're talking to the community, risk levels, and to be reassuring and to underscore messages of prevention. So we are still in the category right now of prevention and planning and preparing as if we uh, do have cases. So we've been given a little bit of extra time uh, to do that. We've been doing that since January. We've really geared up and, and ramped up those uh, meetings and calls with our state and federal partners, with our surrounding counties, with our um, community leaders and, and government leaders in the last few weeks. So some of the things that we're um, talking about include um, talking about uh, organizations and healthcare uh, providers, uh, especially those who take care of our vulnerable residents to exercise their emergency plans and to make sure that they have uh, protocols for screening individuals for signs and symptoms. Uh, if they do get a positive case for measures to take to quickly isolate people, we don't want to panic, but we want to be proactive and we want to be preventive. Uh, and so information and, and facts are really what's going to help us uh, get through this over the next few weeks, the next few months. And you can fully expect that as testing increases, the availability of testing, folks for signs and symptoms who meet the criteria, and I have to underline that, uh, we're getting a lot of calls. Uh, we're getting a lot of concerned uh, citizens who may have um, similar signs and symptoms of COVID-19 um, that mimic uh, perhaps the flu or cold. Allergy season is, is it here already? I think it is. Um, so, you know, sore throats and coughs are going to be common. Uh, the telltale sign is going to be fever, and I'm going to turn it over in a minute to our medical director to go into more depth uh, on those things. But I wanted to talk to you about the importance of giving out the correct information, uh, factual information, in order for people to make good decisions and not to make decisions based on fear. So we see in our surrounding counties that they're taking steps and measures uh, at the recommendation of state and, and federal guidance to take those community mitigation steps and to make recommendations that large groups of people don't, uh, you know, over 500 or other large groups, uh, don't have unnecessarily bringing people together where there might be exposure. So in those communities with positive cases, um, the epidemiology really approach to that is if you have community transmission where there's a possibility of further spread, that's when you want to gradually get more aggressive in your approach. And so you see that going on in surrounding counties. I do want to sort of um, just highlight the facts in terms of the current number of positive cases in New York State. Out of the 325 positive cases as of yesterday in New York State, 
148 of those are in Westchester County, so that's really where the epicenter of the COVID outbreak is currently in terms of positive tests. Um, 95 of those are in New York City. So the lion's share are in New York City and Westchester County. We will see cases start to pop up uh, in surrounding counties as we have. Rockland County has seven. Orange County, I believe, has one or two. Ulster has, I believe, either four or six, depending on uh, you know which data set uh, is most current. So we are taking steps to make sure that our partners are ready. Our staff is very busy. We've seen an increase in call volume, and we're working to triage those calls and remind people that if you have general questions, to please call the New York State COVID information line um, for the public, because that will help our staff to reroute the important calls coming through from healthcare providers um, so that they can quickly um, address those calls that are coming in. So that number for the state hotline is 1-888-364-3065, and that's on our website as well as the State Health Department's website. So I'd like to briefly turn it over to Dr. Bruce Ellswick, who is the medical director for the Sullivan County Department of Health. And he's going to talk briefly uh, about prevention strategies and um, I think later if we take questions. Thank you, Nancy. And thank you all for coming today. And I certainly like to thank our state government for being proactive as well. We're ahead of the curve, uh, although we are still unsure of what we're going to face here in Sullivan County. Uh, I think that one of the observations I made when coming in, I watched whether people use the hand sanitizer on the wall before they came into the meeting. And also practicing social distancing is rather important. Hand washing is a key to prevention. Uh, I know that our hospitals and our practices in the county are taking action to, make, to provide appropriate and timely care to the people that may be concerned about their symptoms. Uh, the entrance entrances to the practices are are being uh, protected for the public safety as far as identifying people who may be at risk. Observing for signs and symptoms such as fever and respiratory symptoms are certainly the two most important things that we have to look for. Although there, as Nancy identified, there are a lot of things that can cause fever and respiratory symptoms. Common sense really dictates what you should practice. And communicating with your clinician whether it's a physician, a nurse practitioner, or a physician's assistant, before taking action is really crucial as well. If you think you have symptoms, if you think you might be vulnerable, I think it's very wise to call your clinician first, to call the emergency room before coming to the emergency room so appropriate preparation can be made to deal with your illness when you arrive. Just to arrive in mass certainly will challenge our capacity as far as caring for the people that we need to care for. Uh, I know that there's uh, there's a lot of misinformation floating around about COVID-19, a lot of uh, stories that are in the uh, out in the uh, the web about it. And be sure that if you're looking for sources of information, that you use reliable sources. And Nancy pointed out that the hotline for the state is probably your best information source, as well as our local public health, your clinicians, the practices you go to. And as I mentioned, fortunately, our state is ahead of the curve, thanks thanks to the state government that we have and preparing ourselves for access to testing, which is really going to be critical. 
we still have a shortage of testing materials, and some judgment has to be exercised when someone is appearing in a clinician's office or in the emergency room as far as the ability to test at this time, but that will be more widespread as time goes on. So calling, exercising common sense. Uh, questions come up about using your gym to exercise, cleaning the equipment before you use it and afterward is also important, and distancing yourself from other people. The, the common thought is uh, two meters or six feet away from the people that you are near, and I see that a lot of people in the audience aren't exercising that. Uh, so be cautious uh, in large gatherings as well. Uh, and uh, I will gladly entertain any questions later if there are any specific questions about medical action that can be taken. As you all know, there is no specific treatment for COVID-19. Uh, expectant treatment, treating the symptoms is what we do. Watching for the vulnerable populations, those people over 60, those people with chronic illness, underlying illnesses are more vulnerable. Very fortunately, the very young and most young healthy people have been spared as far as the severity of the illness, but I don't know that this is the last word on that as well. So I will gladly take questions later. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Doctor. Thank you, Nancy. Next, I'd like to introduce our county manager, Jasper Tosin. Thanks, Mike. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, so early on, uh, obviously Nancy touched on, the public health department's been actively monitoring this along with state DOH um, as the virus spread in China. Um, so we've been paying attention to it, and as it creeped into Europe, and uh, obviously New York City and Westchester, we, we formally activated our incident command structure, and as of yesterday, um, our emergency operations center is now um, minimally staffed and operational, where we can ramp up if we start to see cases here. Um, and, and the structure there is not to take away, obviously, from Nancy I mean, her, and her epi, epidemiology department. They have a lot on their plate right now. The, the, the structure is there to enhance and support her and her operations and to come out with their core mission of protecting the public health. So I had a meeting with all the department heads committee for government operations in general. We intend to be open um, for business on Monday. Um, we are having department heads uh, provide um, plans for more minimal staffing in the building um, where we, and pushing more people into a telecommute um, where possible. Um, so we have, tend to have that in place by Monday. Obviously, if we start to see cases over the weekend or we have concerns about certain governmental buildings, we'll have to make decisions as they present themselves to us. Um, we've enhanced cleaning in our, our, our more uh, common public, uh, public uh, uh, areas. We provide more cleaning uh, uh, materials and, and supplies for offices for their personal spaces. Um, and, and I think a lot of this communication, we've had um, daily calls with the governor's offices. Our state representatives that are here have reached out and provided assistance where they can. County legislature's been supportive of staff and what they need to do. But also, we've been having regular calls with town uh, mayor, uh, town supervisors, and village officials, highway superintendents, just to keep them abreast of what's going on and how this could impact um, potentially their town and uh, operations. Likewise, with the school districts, OCs, the, the college, and our local uh, healthcare facilities have all been um, regular, daily, if not more frequent, and daily communication on this to make sure we have a coordinated response to, to the issue. Um, and I think just the message, I think, for now, we're still open for business, so um, obviously be cautious, as the, Dr. Ellsberg said, be cautious uh, when you're um, in public and avoid very large crowds, but 
go out to eat, go to the grocery store. We're not shutting down. We're not Italy at this point. So please go about your daily lives, but just be more cautious of, uh, of your surroundings. Thank you, Josh. Next, we have Commissioner of Health and Family Services, Stephanie Brown. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Um, so I think it's important to emphasize that we don't have any cases at this time, and we are hoping to continue that trend. Um, what we do know also is that the older population in this community is certainly more vulnerable to this particular infection. Um, so along with other county planning efforts, I've been paying special attention to our care center at Sunset Lake. Um, as some of you may know or may have heard already, and if not, you'll hear it now, we are hoping to lock down the facility starting at 7 p.m. this evening. So that means no visitation whatsoever. I do want to emphasize, though, there are certain situations in which we will lift that and we'll make accommodations. And if you have a loved one who is in the facility and is going through a, a, an end-of-life process or something along those lines that requires a family member to be present or family members, we're going to make those accommodations. So when we say we're locking down the facility, we're locking it down. But there are some situations that we're definitely going to work with families. That's very important. We don't want to shut people out. Um, we want to protect the individuals that are in the facility. So some of the things that we're doing along with that, we're following our regulatory agency guidance. Uh, all staff members are wearing masks within the facility. Uh, very few places, the only place that we're allowing them to lift the masks are in the staff break areas, and as soon as they walk out of those doors, that mask is in place, and we have leadership spot checking to make sure that there's compliance with that. We're uh, educating the staff on appropriate hand washing. Um, it's also no secret that we do have a shortage of personal protective equipment supplies. So we're working with our Office of Emergency Management. Um, we're educating the staff on the appropriate use of personal protective equipment, and we're securing that equipment as well. So we're monitoring the current supplies that we have, and we're reserving them for situations in which we absolutely have to use them. Um, deliveries, at this time, we don't have any issues with, with food shortages. Uh, deliveries and vendors, et cetera, will deliver to our loading docks, so even those individuals will not be permitted into the building. Um, on a daily basis and per shift, all staff are being screened for signs or symptoms of illness or potential exposure to COVID-19. Um, we're tracking that as well, so all leadership and leadership's leadership, including myself, are monitoring those tracking sheets and making sure that individuals that are working with our most vulnerable residents are also healthy as well. Um, Education is really paramount here, and I, I can't emphasize that enough. Uh, so uh, another another issue here, and I have an update. I have some speaking points from our Office for the Aging. We stand in our Office for the Aging director is here as well. Um, but she wanted me to emphasize a couple of things for you on that front. So again, we're dealing with uh, an older, more vulnerable population that we definitely have to take some considerations for. Um, so they're actively identifying their most at-risk clients and ensuring that their basic needs are met. Um, we will be continuing our home delivery meals. That is not going to stop. As of right now, we don't have any issues with that at all. Um, the congregate meal nutrition sites, however, will be closed until further notice. And that's a, a location where a lot of older people come together and they have their meals. So those individuals will be receiving uh, home nutrition as well. Uh, medical transportation will also continue. Uh, so um, I'm reading off of this. So medical uh, transportation will still be available. However, new appointments will be suspended for at least 30 days. We're not taking on any new medical appointments. Uh, so we have that as well. The shopping bus will also continue to run. However, if there are individuals who are receiving our higher risk or who have potentially been exposed, 
we're having those conversations with them as well, and we're asking that they explore alternate methods of getting the supplies that they need at home. Um, and that's really, I think, all we have for that one. And in addition to all of these other things, looking at the folks that are coming into the offices as well, so we're screening with the visitors as well coming into the office for the aging. And I'll talk a little bit about that too with DFS and community services. So those are the, some, of, some of the things that we're putting in place at the care center at Sunset Lake and also the office for the aging. Um, community services and the Department of Family Services are also a place of concern because we do have a large volume of individuals coming in and out of those facilities. So similar to what we're doing elsewhere, all employees are being screened and we're, we're watching for signs and symptoms of illness and people are need to need to get medical attention, we're making sure that they do that. Um, we're also screening individuals coming in for appointments to work with the caseworkers, etc. Um, are you experiencing signs or symptoms? Have you traveled? So we're going through the screening process with individuals coming into the facility as well. Um, in addition to very prominent signage posted in, in all of the buildings. Um, and the guidance is it's a little bit difficult with the Department of Social Services because these are federal and state mandated programs and services that we have to provide. So our acting commissioner of social services, William Moon, is going to be on a call. In fact, we'll be jumping on that in less than three minutes. Um, so we'll have some updated information after he has that call, talking with his counterparts and his state people to, to find out if there's additional guidance in that regard. Um, and that, that's kind of what we have right now. You know, again, I think it's really important to emphasize that this is not a moment to panic. We're, we're doing we're doing very well. I think this is a moment to educate and to prepare. And um, I think we're all doing a really really great job. And I'd love to see all of the partners here today, people coming together to get the message out. Um, oh my goodness. Um, so so that's that's it. Okay. Next up. Okay. Next up is CRMC CEO Jonathan Schiller. Thank you. I hope you're getting the sense that uh, with these fantastic leaders, um, we're, our community is definitely in great hands, and these are great partners and partnerships that we work with. Uh, just a tremendous amount of information to share with regard to the hospital. So I do have some prepared remarks, and um, I sounds like we may take some questions afterwards. Uh, but please know the Catskill Regional Medical Center, as well as the Catskill Regional Medical Group and our system, have activated our emergency operations plans, as well as our pandemic plan, out of an abundance of caution and preparation. These plans do include thoughtful and detailed steps to ensure our organization is able to continue operations during an emergency and to safely care for patients while also, and incredibly importantly, protecting our staff and our healthcare workers. In addition, we've activated our hospital incident command system today to ensure day-to-day -day continuity of patient care. Uh, this system and these plans include details such as staffing plans, labor pool management, supply utilization, as you heard about PPE, um, patient flow management, testing and procedure scheduling, all the way to uh, monitoring medications and fuel in the generators. The command system is based on federal guidance within the National Incident Management System and includes flexibility for evolving scenarios such as a pand pandemic like this. The safety and well-being of our patients Staff in the community are paramount to all of this planning that's taking place, as well as the detailed actions that we've taken today. And so I'll outline some of those actions that we have taken. And at Casker Regional Medical Center, we're specific to our skilled nursing unit. Um, as you've heard, uh, elderly, especially those with underlying health conditions, are particularly susceptible. In order to best protect those patients and residents in our nursing home, uh, and based on the most recent guidance from the Centers for Disease Control, we have restricted visitation 
to the patients in our skilled nursing unit. The only visitation permitted at this time is for family members of patients who may be actively dying. Any visitor to the skilled nursing unit, um, similar to uh, what was described by the commissioner, uh, will be screened for COVID-19 for current screening protocols. In addition, we are screening all employees in the skilled nursing unit prior to their start of each shift. As an added precaution, all staff are to be wearing masks while on the unit, and we are continuously monitoring the respiratory status of our nursing home residents using the screening protocols as well. With regard to the hospital itself, as part of a pandemic plan and emergency operations plan, we've activated our external advanced triage process to screen patients presenting to the emergency department before they enter the building. Uh, so what you'll see if you uh, approach the hospital, uh, the screening is occurring in the triage tent immediately outside of the emergency department and is designed to identify, triage, and plan the care of potential COVID-19 patients before they um, present within the hospital. There is a specific New York State Department of Health protocol that we're following during the screening process, and that includes questions regarding symptoms, recent travel, potential exposure to others who may have already tested positive, among other factors. And in addition to the screening protocol, we're also following the COVID-19 testing protocol that's developed by the CDC and the New York State Department of Health. And I think we can all be thankful that our New York State Department of Health and all of our state representatives have been incredibly proactive. Uh, this testing protocol includes testing for influenza and other respiratory illnesses prior to testing for COVID-19. The Sullivan County Public Health Department is alerted to any patient that screens in uh, for testing, and the case is reviewed in real time with our County Public Health Department partners and determination is made for testing at that time. Um, during this process, all patients presenting for COVID-19 infection are separated from the main patient population, and guidance regarding quarantine is given to the patient by our partners at the Public Health Department. For visitors who wish to see patients at the hospital, other than the skilled nursing unit, please only visit if you have to. Visitation is being limited to one visitor at a time per patient. There is no visitation for patients that may have test results for pending COVID-19. The only entrance open at this time is the main hospital entrance to help facilitate that screening and flow. And we are screening all visitors to the hospital following the same protocol that I had mentioned before. Any, vis any visitors that answer yes to the screening questions will be asked to refrain from visiting and will be discussed privately and maybe asked to contact their healthcare provider. Uh, for patients who have scheduled tests and procedures at the hospital, uh, we are not canceling any tests or procedures at this time. Patients are being screened on the phone the day before their appointments, and out of an abundance of caution, they will be screened again upon presentation to the hospital. Please note that as of now, and as you've heard, uh, we do not have any positive test results for patients we have treated. However, we anticipate that this may change in the near future. We maintain open communication and close collaboration with our Sullivan County Public Health Department as well as the County Office of Emergency Management, which is doing a fantastic job. In addition, we are regularly receiving updated guidance from the CDC and the New York State Department of Health. We are thankful for the support of Senator Metzger and Assemblymember Assembly Gunther and their offices and their staff. We do encourage everyone to follow the guidance of the CDC, the State Department of Health, the Sullivan County Public Health Department, and any executive order promulgated by the governor. Thank you. Next up is OC's District Superintendent, Robert. Thank you. The 
document I'm going to read from is from a joint guidance document issued by the New York State Department of Health and the New York State Department of Education on March 8, 2020. The New York State Department of Health and the New York State Department of Education believe the early, broad, and sustained community containment strategies are effective in reducing the spread of the virus. These community containment interventions are scalable and flexible so that local public health and education authorities can use these tools based on the local situation. A comprehensive, layered approach reduces disease transmission and associated illness during an outbreak. It is important to continuously promote and facilitate fundamental infection control measures in school settings, not only during an outbreak. Schools should be proactive and develop plans for monitoring illness among students and staff, send six students and staff home, and develop contingency plans to cover key staff positions when employees are home ill. Schools should communicate with parents and staff on the importance of exclusion recommendations. A checklist has been developed to assist schools in this planning. Non-pharmaceutical interventions. Students and staff with illness should stay home in accordance with Education Law 906.1. Staff who develop, uh, students and staff who develop respiratory illness systems during the school day should be isolated promptly in a room separate from the others. These individuals should be dismissed according to district policies. Hand hygiene. Students and staff should practice good hand hygiene to help reduce the spread of COVID-19. The COVID-19 virus spreads from person to person and droplets produced by coughs and sneezes. Therefore, it is important that students and staff cover their mouth or noses uh, when coughing or sneezing. Routine cleaning. The CDC recommends schools perform routine environmental cleaning or regular cleaning for most services. The New York State Department of Health has recently distributed cleaning guidance for schools. Generally, schools should routinely clean high-touch surfaces, doorknobs, light switches, and countertops. Guidance for schools with identified cases of COVID-19 in their community. School administrators should work in close collaboration and coordination with the state and local health officials to close school and or cancel large events. Schools are not expected to make decisions about closing or canceling events due to COVID-19 on their own. Schools can seek specific guidance from the state or local health officials to determine if, when, and for how long to take these steps. This does not limit the statutory or regulatory authority of a school board to close a building or other circumstances. The nature of these actions, geographic scope and duration, may change as the local outbreak situation evolves. When a student or staff member uh, attended school prior to being confirmed as a COVID-19 case, the New York State Department of Health requires an initial 24-hour closure in order to begin an investigation to determine the contacts that the individual may have had within the school environment. That investigation will inform the plan determined by local Department of Health as to any further required closure or other necessary precautions to take for specific classrooms or for specific individuals. Such plan must recommend actions for future positive COVID-19 cases as well. During the initial 24-hour closure, the school shall immediately take steps to clean and disinfect school buildings where the student or staff had contact prior to testing positive for COVID-19. That disinfection must be in accordance with New York State Department of Health guidelines and must be complete before accepting or returning students. It's crucial that school communities communicate with the state and local health departments. Schools are also encouraged to communicate with families and the school community about what they can do 
to decrease the spread of the illness and help families and communities understand the important roles that they play in reducing the spread of COVID-19 and keeping schools open. In order to ensure the continuity of operations, including instruction, meal programs, and business function, all school districts in the county are preparing plans to assure continuity of these operations. Arrangements are being made to continue instruction remotely using platforms such as Google Classroom, Blackboard, and others. Due to gaps in broadband coverage around the county, alternative methods are being prepared which will include study packets, reading assignments, and the like. Many students also rely on the two meals served today at every school. Schools will work, community, work with community feeding organizations, food banks, food branches, and the Red Cross to plan for the distribution of food to students by instituting meal pickup and delivery options. Schools are making arrangements to assure that all back office operations are being accounted for to assure the continuity of payments and services. Thank you. Next up is Sully Sullivan President Jane Waits. Thank you all very much. I'm going to read a partial version of a statement that is on our SUNY Sullivan webpage where you can find further information and links for the health and safety of our entire academic community is one of my highest priorities as president of SUNY Sullivan. I'm sure you are aware that we are not alone in this, in this situation. There has been daily contact by me and my staff with local officials, state government, the city system administration and the governor's office directly, as well as with local presidents. We are monitoring and following all guidelines and guidance related to the appropriate steps we can take as a public institution of higher education to protect our students, employees, and visitors. The SUNY Sullivan leadership team has been diligently and tirelessly preparing for a number of possible scenarios, campus events that involve sizable audience are being considered on a case-by-case -case basis, and most are being postponed or canceled outright. Our institutional cleaning protocols have been enhanced, and our offices are being disinfected daily. Anyone who is ill is being encouraged to stay home and seek the advice of their clinician. We've extended our spring break beginning next Monday. Classes the week of March 16th are now canceled. The college does remain open at this time, and this will allow us more time for continued planning and preparations as we work to ensure the continuity of our classes and other operations. SUNY Sullivan will be moving our academic program to distance education modalities beginning March 30th, continuing until further notice. The schedule for this and other updates can be found on our website. All students must be out of the residence halls and townhouses by Monday, March 16th at 5 p.m. Charter buses to New York City's Bryant Park at 42nd Street and 6th Avenue will be departing from in front of the field house at 1 p.m. on Saturday, March 14th. More information for that is also available on our website. During the extended spring break, beginning Monday, March 16th, Sydney Sullivan campus leadership and staff will develop a comprehensive plan to develop distance-based modes of instruction for academic classes and will be reviewing closely student billing concerns in consultation with student system administration. Curriculum-specific needs and distance learning protocols have been developed. Students will receive course-specific communications with instructions for alternate methods of course completion. We are committed to working with students and their families throughout this process. You may reference all corona rate 
coronavirus-related updates at our college website, and any questions should be directed to covid19.questions at cindysullivan.edu. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Next speaker is New York State Senator Jen Meskin. Thank you, Mr. Vice Chairman. The main message that I want to get across today is that each of us as individuals can have a major impact in slowing the transmission of COVID-19. And all of us working together can achieve this goal and protect the health of our most vulnerable populations. It's absolutely essential that everyone try to follow these basic protocols, a number of which have already been mentioned. Practice social distancing as we are doing up here. Wash your hands with warm water and soap for 20 seconds frequently. I tell my kids sing and have the happy birthday song in their head two times over to make sure that they're doing it for 20 seconds. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect surfaces frequently. Use surfaces frequently. This is one that we all use after we touch doorknobs and everything else. It's just you have to just kind of think differently. You don't, you don't have to panic, but we have to have this on our minds. Um, and stay home if you're sick. We can reduce the severity of this outbreak if we all follow these protocols. As I told my kids, you know, the life you save could be your grandmother's. I know it's not here in Sullivan County, but it's in all of, we've had positive cases in all of the counties I represent, including where I live in Ulster County. The health and safety of our communities is my absolute top priority. My office is really focused on preventing the spread of COVID-19 and supporting our communities in this effort and trying to get timely information to them. We're in daily briefings with the governor's office because things are changing on the ground every day. Uh, I really want to commend uh, the Sullivan County government, Sullivan BOCES, and Catskill Regional Medical Center. They are really, you are all are being incredibly proactive and the, um, the residents of Sullivan County should, should feel very confident in the efforts underway at the county level. Thank you very much. Let's all work together. I'm available to you all 24-7. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Our next speaker is Assemblywoman Eileen Telford. Well, good afternoon, anyone, everybody, and I, I didn't really um, prepare any remarks. Uh, I spent the weekend down in New York City, and I know what it's like to feel very vulnerable regarding this uh, outbreak. As an infection control practitioner, as a nurse with still a license, I know that one of the most important things that we can do is hand washing. And I want to congratulate all of you for being here because the only way that we can defend ourselves against these kinds of outbreaks is working together. And more than that, it's about communication and education. And that in all levels of government that we work together, I know that the governor was just on and he declared at this point a state of emergency. I have to go back to the office and read through all of his statements. But I want you to know that um, with schools, if God forbid they uh, do have to close, I think that they will be held harmless, which is very important. I know that our uh, superintendents are communicating all the time. Bob is doing a great job. Um, I'm glad that 
I know that in Albany they're going to try to fast track things so that we can get the information that you need as a community and across the state. And we all have to be on the same page and we all have to work together. And I mean, when you wash your hands, Jen said one way, I do 10 Mississippi, and using friction is important. And wash them as often as possible. I know my hands are raw. Actually, washing with soap and water is better than using the alcohol, so do that. Make sure you educate older people, your children. Reinforcement is what we need in our community, because if you don't reinforce enforce these messages, it won't be done. And I think that we're not used to being so cautious, but if we communicate to our constituents on a local level, on a state level, on a county, and on a county level, we will prevent transmission. Right now, transmission is happening. We know that with you're within, it's a droplet spread virus. If you're within three feet and you feel wetness on your face, that's what a droplet spread is. Influenza is also a droplet spread, but this virus is much more virulent. So we have to be cautious, we have to communicate, and we have to work together. I'm there, I know Jen is there, I know everybody sitting here wants the best for our county, and that's what we're going to do. And we have to do it statewide, countywide. It's going to take a village this time, and we are the village that we're going to begin our efforts together. So thank you. Thank you, Eileen. Now, I'm just going to take a few moments if there's anybody here that would like to ask any questions to any one of the folks sitting up here. Yes? Hey, Richard Clown, the Sullivan Times. There's a lot of uh, confusion about the testing, not just in this county, around. And I wonder if Nancy or anybody else can talk about that. Because if people don't get tested, we don't know who's infected. So can anybody address that through? Sure. I can address it from a public health perspective, and then if anything, Dr. Ellswick has to, anything to add, I can um, certainly do that. Um, there has been um, a lot of confusing communication, I think, from the federal and state levels um, down to the local level, to the general public about the availability of testing. So we are, we are reacting to that and proactively and trying to do the best we can at the local level. Um, we're getting a, a significant high call volume. So in the very beginning, uh, I would say uh, January, February of this outbreak in, in the United States, uh, you're aware that there were very limited availability of, of testing for a variety of reasons, and I'm not going to go into those. But at the local level, we still continue to have uh, uh, limited supplies uh, and uh, availability of test kits. They are being, um, uh, that is being uh, improved as we speak every day. I know that the state health department is working with the federal government <clears throat> to make sure that uh, more test kits become available at the local level, as well as there's, I think, about a dozen labs that have recently come online in New York State. So um, each state health department has a lab, a public lab, that does routine testing for all communicable diseases. We happen to have the, one of the very base, best state labs in the country, in Albany, and we've been utilizing them for testing, as have all county health departments. So people need to meet those criteria and be um, 
screened by healthcare providers who, as uh, Jonathan had said and also uh, Bob had said, regarding the guidance uh, that's being given to uh, public health officials and local healthcare providers, there's a screening mechanism for risk and those at highest risk will get the test if they need the test. So we are not doing currently testing directly out of the county health department. We do not have the uh, ability to do that currently as we speak, uh, nor do other county health departments that I'm aware of, with the exception of one of the, uh, there's, there's, I think it's Rockland County or Westchester County, is now doing testing <clears throat> through a, uh, a tent where people can go and get screened, and but that's because they've got a large number of cases and probably a large number of community exposures, and they want to get people uh, facilitated to meet the criteria and are considered higher risk, meaning either travel history or came into direct contact with somebody who was positive and have the symptoms to triage those folks for testing as a priority. So you will see this evolve as uh, you know, the more testing that comes online, the more cases we will have. Don't be shocked to see the numbers uh, really go up. But we're working on that in conjunction with state and federal guidance. Uh, Mike Skelton with uh, Renewable News. I, I would just as a follow-up to that, uh, a few days ago the governor had a press conference in which he had said he put as many as 25 different labs online uh, and, and you know, doing the testing locally or regionally, uh, but I wasn't clear as to whether that had actually been put into place. Are, they, are, are more labs being made available to be put online? In the yes, state? yes, and probably daily as we speak. And uh, perhaps our our elected representatives have more information than I do. But from what I my understanding is that the there are private labs in addition to public labs that are coming online and becoming more and more available. Yeah, as of yesterday, uh, we learned in the governor's briefing that there will be in total 28 labs on coming online. And uh, there's going to be continuous efforts to expand that capacity, but that is a significant expansion of testing capacity. And, and, and they're all trusted partners that the Department of Health has worked with. Just as a follow-up, how about the availability of the testing kits? I mean, is, is the state secure in, in, in that? I mean, do we have a, a supply for supply those labs? We're working with our state um, health department regarding the uh, increasing availability of test kits. Dr. Elswick, do you want to address that? So it's still limited as far as availability of test, test kits, and that's why the screening process is very important. And I'm sure the screening process will be a moving target. The most vulnerable people will, of course, who have symptoms will be screened immediately. Uh, and uh, I know that there may be some issue from some people who feel that they may need to have a test who may not meet the criteria with the limited supply of the test kits. That's going to be an issue, a moral and ethical issue for all of us to deal with. The other thing that's very important is that this certainly can be confused with the flu, which is still incredibly prevalent. And I would recommend to all the people that are here and out and are listening to this program that they should get their flu shots because that might be a, an important way to prevent confusion when somebody develops a symptom if you can prevent the actual flu. The flu vaccine is about 45% effective, but still that's better than, much better than nothing. And you cannot get the flu from getting the shot. 
So one other thing I mentioned about access to the, uh, the nursing facilities and to the facilities that house our, older, our elders, uh, we may want to consider things like Skype so that people can communicate with their with their uh, loved ones in a way that doesn't put them at risk. So that's, that's certainly something that we're doing. We're looking at phone conversations with whomever can, can have a phone conversation. We're looking at Skype and FaceTime. You know, one of the beautiful things about technology is that we have that capability to do this face-to-face. -face. And although some family members and residents, that may not be their preferred method of contact, it's the best thing that we can do right now. So we're, we're looking at those alternatives and those in, in particular, especially for some of our as well as for the SNU. That's correct. We have that in place now. With regard to the test kits for the hospital, um, we do have test kits available, and every patient who has screened in for testing has received the testing kit, and we utilize that. Question? Yes. Uh, question for. Uh, for the hospital. Uh, how many patients have come to the hospital who are who thought they had uh, COVID-19? Do you have a number like that? The, the number is changing by the hour. Um, we've, we've screened about 20 to 25 patients, and a very small number fell in for actual testing. In my practice, we've screened a few as well. Uh, and again, the availability of the test kits are critical. I know that the practice that I work for has a dedicated office now. It's not in Sullivan County, it's in Orange County that is dealing primarily with people who think they may have COVID-19. And the, the regular practitioners in that office have been moved elsewhere to see their patients so that that can be done. Just be, uh, because they, they're filming you, doctor, would you tell um, maybe like the audience that will be listening a little bit about like maybe the differences between influenza and the signs and symptoms of that versus uh, this virus. There's a tremendous amount of crossover. So there fever, is crossover, but the virulence, yeah. respiratory infections, the, the rapid progression to pneumonia is characteristic of the COVID-19, which may not be there for the traditional flu that we have, influenza that we have, uh, and people tend to get it uh, sicker. But also, you're dealing with the same you're dealing with a similar vulnerable, vulnerable population. However, the flu affects people from birth on up, and specifically the very young and the very old that are susceptible to the complications of the influenza rather than the vulnerable old that are characteristically involved with the COVID-19. Uh, it doesn't exclude the fact that young children who may tolerate it better and young adults who are healthy who may tolerate it better can't be carriers of the disease harbor the disease and spread it to other people. Therefore, all of the cautions that we've talked about around the table are critical for all people, not just the people who might be vulnerable. How long does it take to get a positive result once you've been tested? It depends on the laboratory. The turnover time varies from place to place. It could be from 24 hours to three days, depending on the laboratory. And that during that period of time, if you have a high index of suspicion, person that you're concerned about should self-isolate or self-quarantine uh, and uh, do a little bit of legwork about their possible contacts as well. But uh, there, there's no way to speed that process up right now. I know that uh, in some countries around the world, they have literally been doing 10 to 20,000 tests a day, and their turnover time is, in, is within hours. We don't have that capability here yet. Any other questions? 
Yeah, this question is for uh, you, Mike, Josh, and some of the women Gunther and Jen Metzger. Uh, there seems to be a lot of concern, and maybe it's a little premature, about some of the, the economic impact on this over the next few months as we get into the summer. Has anyone been thinking about what help can be given to local businesses who may be suffering over the next few months from this? Well, I, in a school system, you have 180 days that you have to fulfill in order to get uh, um, uh, appropriate um, um, support, financial support. And I think the governor is definitely looking, looking at that and going to hold harmless because of this this outbreak and realizing that this is a state of emergency. The New York State is in an emergency situation. So that's a really big deal for schools that they get their appropriate funding. So I think that helps alleviate people like Bob and all of the superintendents, of course, and, he, and they did say that. The other thing the questions were about the ancillary, the hour-by-hour hour folks, to make sure that schools are also held harmless about that. And we're addressing that situation to make schools sure that the burden doesn't fall on the taxpayers and that we can keep these folks that do this ancillary service whether you're cleaning a school or driving a bus making sure that they stay you know that they're doing their job and that they if they're called out of work that there's reimbursement from the state of new york yeah i also wanted to mention that um, we're working on right now we're in discussions with the governor um, about uh, pay, emergency paid leave to employees, small businesses, on uh, um, to be able to comply with self-quarantine and the like. So uh, I expect that we'll have, um, I'm hoping that we'll have legislation on that early next week. Does anybody else have a question? Yeah, no, but I just want, I do want to say thank you. I see our law enforcement in the back. We have ambulance folks in the, from the ambulance, all the legislature. And I, you know what? When they say it takes a village, it, it really does. And we want to thank everybody for their cooperation. Our lines are always open, as well as Jen's. And if there's any information we get from the state of New York, we're going to put it on our Facebook and our websites. Is that right, Jen? Yeah, yeah, yeah we have information on our website um, that we're updated whenever we have a daily briefing. I also just want to say on a personal level, you know, my my uh, kids, grand, my one set of grandparents live right next door. My mother lives up the road. Uh, they're both, uh, you know, they're at the age that they're vulnerable to this, and our children are Skyping with them. Uh, they were supposed to have a movie night with them uh, last night. Instead, they just watched the movie in their own homes, but, you know, Skyped and chatted about them. But the, you know, the, the problem is that you can be contagious, asymptomatic, and contagious. So we just have to be really cautious with our most vulnerable populations. Okay. Yeah, um, I just wanted to, I mean, I realize this is probably not a function of government per se, but I don't know who answered this question, but have you had any dealings with the retail here in Sullivan County? I mean, if we're hearing all the stories about people going to the grocery store and all the shelves are empty and, and everybody seems to be in, in almost like a, a panic over getting supplies. Uh, is there any kind of communication going on between uh, is it the retail community and, and the government? I don't understand the toilet paper issue. <laughs> it's not a symptom, is it? It's not a symptom. It certainly can be. I guess they're afraid of wiping out. 
So the national, the Italian National Health Institute just sent some data, um, and it shows mortality among confirmed cases. Thus, a zero to twenty-nine is zero percent, thirty to forty-nine point one percent. 50 to 59.6, 60 to 69.2.7, which is low, a low incidence. 70, 79 is 9.6%. Over 80 is 16.6%. So at 90 is about about 19%. So I mean that's kind of interesting data for us. I mean it's in a way it alleviates some fears that you know the mortality rate for anybody below 70 is less than we thought. So I think that's important. So um, I hate to talk so much, but I'm like a, a person that's crazed by statistics and everything, and I can't drop my infection control hat. You know, it's interesting. So we have these age ranges and these numbers, but I think about our, our care center at Sunset Lake, and we just celebrated the birthday of an individual who's 111 years old, and, and yet it was pretty incredible. And I so we're putting all of these precautions in place, and I can't emphasize enough how important it is to restrict visitation. She's she's made it this long. Let's not let COVID-19 be her demise. Um, and we have several others who are you know, 80 and above in the facility and who are very much still with it, very much um, active and, and engaged. So everything that we put in place, there's a reason, and it, it may be uncomfortable for some people, but it's critical and it's so very important. Uh, just to get to Mike's question or the issue that you raised, you know, it's this is why it's important not to panic. You know, it's it's we know what we we know what we can do. The steps we've outlined today to, to really minimize transmission. Uh, if you're a healthy individual, you should go about your your normal life, but just practice these sensible um, practices to reduce the to reduce the chances of transmission. So. Um, you know, we don't want a situation where people are panicking and, uh, you know, we run out of um, irrationally supplies of toilet paper and other things. It's just we, we, we have to be balanced in our approach to this, take it seriously, but we don't, we don't have to panic and we're not helped by that. And, and I'd like to say that um, um, the media can do us a great service by being reassuring and getting the facts out and the prevention messages. Unfortunately, some of our national media um, has, has promoted some panic, I think, and that's why you're, you're seeing some of this type of behavior. Um, we, we have, uh, as an incident command structure, the county government reached out to the Visitors Association, um, and, and Josh will talk about that, but we want to really underline the importance of reassurance, take it seriously, do your prevention messages, but there's no need to panic. Even as we as we get cases, because we will, uh, it, it's inevitable that people continue to use common sense um, because uh, just like the flu, you still have to have a direct exposure to someone who's positive. It can be transmitted through surfaces, yes, that's why you wash your hands and and clean and disinfect on a routine basis. So uh, we have a lot of information on our website, uh, Sullivan County Public Health, uh, as well. And I just want to underscore that. In addition, with the 325 cases statewide that I mentioned as of yesterday, it's probably higher now. To my knowledge, there has not been one death in New York State. So we need to keep that in perspective as well. We have a good health care system. Okay, with that, I just want to close with making the remark that the Sullivan County Legislature 
in conjunction with the office of the county manager, felt that this was a time, the appropriate time, to call a press conference, to disseminate the information, listen to the experts, and we hope that this helped the residents of Southern County understand where we're at and get some information, get information that can truly help them. So thank you for joining us. Have a good afternoon.